0: When Michelle was in college, she met her future husband, Adam. He was touted as the next big thing. Like, his producer worked with bands like U2, and Adam's band opened for Collective Soul. Well, stuff happened. Michelle went through a fairly traumatic experience, and Adam, well, he didn't want to be in a band anymore. So they both quit. Her college, and him, the music business. Now, at this point, tensions between their families were pretty high. So, Michelle and Adam, well, they decided to move to Austin.
1: It was good for everybody to have that moment and that clear slice in time where it's like, Adam
0: has gone. (laughs) The idea was to physically remove themselves from people who didn't understand their life choices. So how did Michelle and Adam make it work financially when they were in this transitional phase in their lives? Welcome to Beyond the Dollar with me, Sarah Lee Kane, a show where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well being. Today, I chat with Michelle from the website Savvy History, who is a history teacher by day and musician by night. We talk about her upbringing and why academia and music are so intertwined in her life, why her husband decided to leave the music business, how they managed to make their finances work while figuring out their life path, and the one thing Michelle is most grateful for throughout this entire journey. Stick around to the end of the episode where I'll distill some takeaways, including why you don't need to monetize your passion or hobby. As in, you can find a way to fund it, and it means looking closely at your values. Well, lucky for you, I've created a value-based spending guide, which helps you hone in on what you value the most and how you can use it to guide your financial decisions. To download it, go to beyondthedollar.co slash values. And to find resources shared in this episode, head over to beyondthedollar.co, all right? Get ready, grab a seat, and let's go beyond the dollar. Michelle, welcome. So excited to have you on Beyond the Dollar. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. When you met your husband and you started finding out more of his story with his band and how that affected both your, I guess, creative careers moving forward.
1: Yeah. When I first met my husband, I was a singer-songwriter musician playing music up and down the Mississippi at different cafes and clubs and stuff like that. And I came across my husband and I met him at a show. And it was kind of one of those moments where he helped me out by watching my merchandise and watching my tip jar. And I just knew this person was going to have a really large role in my life. And Immediately trusted him and enjoyed him. And then later that night, I went and met up with my guitar teacher at a different venue because I was playing two shows a day at that point. I'd play one in the early afternoon and then even play again at night. And I was telling my guitar teacher about who I met, and he's like, oh, they were in a band that was about to make it really big. So then, of course, I went down the internet hole like people did around that time period, trying to research a potential partner. And I was Intrigued by a story that they, you know, had been signed by a major record producer, Steve Lillywhite. And Steve Lillywhite has worked with the Talking Heads and Dave Matthews and the Rolling Stones and just all these bands that I was really into at the time. So, of course, I loved my husband upon meeting him for who he is. But then there was that extra element of like, what's his story if he was connected in all these ways, but then he's playing in these small spots in the Midwest again. What happened in between? And and that's not something we started talking about right away when I met him a couple of other times and of course then started officially dating him, but eventually over time the story came out and and now it's just a blip in his life. But it's interesting how a band is such a force that follows you around and teaches you so many lessons about both business and creativity and especially about yourself and for both of us,
0: right, and so I'm right in assuming that you both work together, you're like you're in a band together at some capacity.
1: yeah, we like to play music together. He plays the bass, and I actually am the one who really likes to write songs. He is more comfortable just picking up the bass once in a while. He's not a musician that really you know hones in on his craft. It's more a hobby for him, and I'm the one that really loves to dive into lyrics and things like that so. We're at a comfortable level now where we play a couple shows here and there, and he supports me traveling along with me to the shows. And, you know, since we've had our son, oftentimes he's just there even hanging out with my son and hasn't picked up a bass in a while. But the dynamic works, and I'm really glad that he has that history of being a musician so that he can appreciate the drive that I have as I continue to create songs. And for him, it's definitely more of a side hobby or
0: something that comes into his
1: life because his friends and the people around him are really interested in it.
0: Right. So tell me what happened. Like, what was the decision for him not to continue with, I guess, being the next big thing, (laughs) just kind of lack of a better term? Yeah. So my husband
1: started playing in bars and cafes and stuff like that and clubs when he was 14 years old. So if you think about the choices of a 14 year old, it was his older friends doing it. And he, unlike a lot of bands, it didn't peter out. It actually kind of blew up and became really popular around the area. And then they were discovered as one of the the early bands on the internet that would have been discovered because, of course, now people are scouting or going on the internet to find things all the time. But I think a fan of their band or somebody entered them in a contest, and that's how they were first heard by Steve Lillywhite. And then Steve Lillywhite just took them on as an experimental project to start a record label of his own. And it didn't end up working out. I, I'm, I know around that time that was nine eleven, and there was another market crash and also Napster came out. So, so many changes that were happening in the music industry and they were flying to LA and to New York regularly and trying to make it happen and then doing other showcases where musicians are kind of putting their stuff on display in front of record label execs and pretty, you know, pretty powerful people. And as much as you know i really love art one of the things that makes me sad is that there's there's really no industry that splits people into somebodies and nobodies faster than the industry of you know creative endeavors so i think that really turned him off that he was doing something that was important to him trying to process his thoughts as a teenage boy right like you're doing that but somehow the way you look is it really matters and your youth really matters So there's a lot of pressure on like, oh, you got to do this while you're 18, because if you don't do it by 18, you know, is your talent as valuable anymore if you're pulling it off when you're 25 or when you're 30, as it is when you're doing it at 18. So all that kind of added up and definitely just turned into a stress for him until his relationship with music was really bad. And even the band dynamic itself between the four guys that were in the band just kind of became... I would say objectively toxic. I think they could all say that too, where it just wasn't a healthy way to be relating to people that were originally your friends. And, you know, they're all shoved in a van and maybe touring around the United States. And it's also that time when a lot of them want to go to college, but, or don't want to go to college because now they think they have this other life path that's presented to them and they're being put in limos and people are telling them they're going to be millionaires while at the same time, it's like, I don't know if I'm going to have to ask my mom for money next week, right? Like they can't, <laughs> <Yeah>. really, <laughs> they can't really see what there is to show for it yet while all these promises are being made around them. and And even still, there's just slow things that I learn about that time in his life. If we're just on a walk, having a chat and I'll be like, oh my gosh, I never knew that or I never knew you had that experience. He had some really great experiences from it, but he also graduated high school early and that left him on a path of no college plans, or anything like that. And same with the other guys in the band, because that's a time in your life when everybody else is heading off to college, and they had this other experience dangled in front of them. And it was a very promising experience. I don't think it was irresponsible at all to have taken that chance and done it because of the caliber of the people that they were working with. So on the other end of that, he came out at 22, 23, and he knew he didn't wanna be a musician for his life path. And he had to look around and think, what skills have I learned? What value has come out of this experience that I can turn into a life path because I didn't go to college. So that was an interesting thing to navigate with him too because I'm highly academic and I had this vision of myself always as being you know, someone that always pursued the highest level of education that I could. But at the same time, I understood where he was coming from because I myself had done a pause on my education to pursue music.
0: Was music for you something you wanted to pursue as a career? Yeah,
1: I was always split between the idea of creative life as a writer that kept my expenses incredibly low and the idea of going all out and getting a PhD in some subject that I was really driven about. And I guess for me, the dividing point came I had a a loss in the family when I was 19, just an absolutely shocking loss. And it just m- made me realize the power of youth and the, the power of choice when you're younger. And I realized that music was something that I needed so bad to help me process these life experiences that i had had. So I was like, if I'm doing it all the time anyway, and I just have so much to process right now, I'm just going to go for it while I'm young and I'll figure it out later. And I had people at that point who were really surprised by the fact that I stopped college. I had two years of college done, but I didn't go off and finish. And, you know, the people who understood me, you know, I had a friend who, you know, was a valedictorian and and just a really brilliant person. And she was like, you'll do it, Michelle. You'll do it when you're ready. You'll go back to school when you're ready. But she respected my choice. And I think hearing people that were really important to me like that made a difference and gave me the confidence to know that,
0: yeah, there might be
1: more winding, meandering way that I navigate life because there's just other things that I have to get out of my system first.
0: I'm curious, and you mentioned, you know, your close friend being really supportive. What about when others didn't seem as receptive to your decision? Yeah.
1: Well, I've always had this odd dynamic with my family because my parents didn't go to college, right? So like they didn't have that support, you know, themselves. So they didn't understand how to give it as well. And it's only recently that I kind of processed my love of music as a safe intellectual space because it didn't have that tie to college learning that maybe my parents weren't as comfortable with. Like I grew up in that environment where maybe you would hear that college was elitist or maybe that people who took that direction in life, there was some elitism to it. So that dynamic alone just created an interesting tension. My parents met well, but they weren't... Able to structure those academic experiences for me or offer the support to get there in any way, so music was a safe way to do it, and I could go and play a gig, and you know my daddy's into business, and he'd be like, "So how much did you make?" and I'd be like, "Well, I made two hundred and fifty bucks, and he'd like be like, "Well, you're on to something right if I'm able to come home after two hours with two hundred and fifty bucks so I brought something really interesting to their life by being as different as I was <laughs> and Also, I've just tried to keep an open mind when, you know, participating with what I view as their culture and their beliefs, because there's really no other way to navigate it. I hope in general that people can try to notice strengths and differences and not necessarily, you know, dwell on, like, oh, goodness, I had a child that was born that was just so different. How can I mold them to be like me? You know, that just doesn't work. (laughs) It doesn't work at all. In fact, Anytime I've seen that in other people, like people rebel worse than I did.
0: When you're both trying to kind of carve out like what your careers were and his parents sort of had an idea of what they would have liked to see for him, your parents had an idea of what they would have liked to see in you. How did that affect how both of you were trying to navigate your way through life in general? Well, around the time I first met my husband, the band was
1: still just like, how would I say this? It's like capital letters, the band. It's such a huge idea and it played such a huge role in his parents' life because they were really supportive parents and they would go to the shows and they would help set up the equipment and at times just really support the band in any way that they could, even financially. So they had a lot invested in it, you know, investing in this belief in their son. And the idea that their son would be sitting there with a huge amount of talent in their eyes and then just be willing to give it up and quite frankly, want nothing to do with it. That caused these conversations to happen that I would witness as somebody outside the bubble, into the bubble. It was just like an odd reality. And I think sometimes it takes somebody coming in from the outside to see that. For him to get a new start, he was interested in relocating and I was too, but he really did the push where we we moved to Austin, Texas for a year to just kind of create that boundary of like, we're doing our own thing. He, in not so subtle of a way, was like, I'm going to be going somewhere else and doing something else and starting something else. And it was good for everybody to have that moment and that clear slice in time where it's like, Adam has gone.
0: (laughs) Right. It was like almost like, you know, if you physically remove yourself from a place, it's almost like it's almost a clean cut. Is that, I guess, what I'm hearing from you?
1: Yeah. And it was such a healthy time for us as a couple. And it was just exciting. And it was that idea that some people could view as cliche, but where you just go and experience a different climate, experience a different atmosphere and do that while you're young before you settle down. And, And I just look back on that. And I have such Fond memories of driving in a car with him. And we wouldn't just go drive to Austin, Texas, the short way. We would take a really, really long way around and go through Boulder, Colorado and go down through New Mexico and visit Roswell just because. And all those life experiences that came with that and that bonding time with him. And we had our dog in the back seat. And it really is just a a romantic idea in my head still. And we will probably never ever do anything like that again. And that's what makes it so special.
0: I'm curious what your finances were at the time. So did he have some money from sort of his band? What were you doing at the time? I'm assuming you went back to college and graduated?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Because I was always curious about my husband's finances, but we didn't talk about it that much. For me, it took a little while to realize that he was probably just living paycheck to paycheck. And a lot of people hear about his early experience and think, oh, he must have had some money that he was banking on or able to ride that moment out. And it didn't really work out that way. They made a album and it was okay, but it's not like it returned a lot for him. So basically, what was funding us at that point was me and all the odd behaviors and philosophies I had around money, which is just being an extreme saver. You know, That's why I would have the confidence to move to Austin, Texas for a year. And we didn't know what our jobs would be when we got there or anything like that, because I had saved up a large sum for myself. So that was just an interesting time where I even bought him eye surgery, you know, laser eye surgery, because I didn't know if he would want to play music. So it was this idea of creating a mini loan between us where I was like, well, you have glasses, don't wanna have glasses anymore. I'm gonna buy you some LASIK eye surgery and then you'll pay me back by playing shows with me. (laughs) And I mean, those are the types of things we were doing. It was pretty odd and in its own way, but it was fine and it was fun. And he has a very similar value system as me and we definitely operate as equals now. But I look back at that time and I had no problem just being the one that was a saver while he was kind of getting, you know, his vision for his life together.
0: Yeah. Do you think if you didn't have that chunk of cash saved up that you both would have felt like it was possible to even go to Austin, Texas?
1: No, I wouldn't have been able to take a risk like that unless I had a savings account. And I always hear these stories about creative people that will really just go and start gigantic, massive vision on $1. And I I don't know really how they do it i'm i'm pretty wired for security in order to you know pursue something i don't think there's many things we would have done even we bought a foreclosed home at one point and i feel like that was a risk when you buy a house for one thing but let alone when you buy a foreclosed home and then you have the plan to remodel it so i was really thankful at that point to have saved in a way that was responsible I didn't know exactly what I'd ever be using the money for, but I knew as a young adult, it's probably a good idea to keep around a healthy amount so you can make those decisions on the fly and you can do those types of life changes.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. I agree. I, I personally wouldn't be able to do that. I think I would have had way too much anxiety if I just had a dollar in the bank. But kudos to those who can make it work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. You hear about it all the time. You're like, who are I know. How did
0: they do that? Okay, so you're in Austin, Texas. You have your little bit of money saved up. You sort of convinced your husband to play with you in some bands for LASIK surgery, things like that. What were some of the conversations that led you back to the Midwest? And like, how did money play into that?
1: Yeah, that decision was really driven by community. I know Austin, Texas is an awesome community, but I just never really left the house that much. I wasn't good at starting new relationships from scratch, but there was this town back close to where we had both grown up that everything just kept kind of pointing back to there because I'd be emailing with people and somebody would say, oh, an apartment opened up or, oh, are you able to play this or this festival? And everything kind of just kept pointing back there as, in terms of opportunity to create a community where we could both be really happy and really grounded and really rooted in a place that had just so many opportunities and philosophies and festivals and just things going on that we believed in so all roads kind of led back to where we grew up and and it was a really beautiful move it was a really good turning point in our lives and now we've been here for 10 years and i think your environment can make such an impact on your mental health and picking where you settle and who you settle around It's just one of the biggest decisions besides maybe your career path.
0: So is music your main gig like, or how are you balancing with whatever career path that you're doing now?
1: Yeah, I'm a full-time teacher and I really love that option to do whatever I want with my music because I don't look at it as a source of money. Mm -hmm. So that's let me have this pressure taken off. From what I used to do before when I was a full-time musician, I felt like I had to say yes to every single gig or every single opportunity that came my way. And now I'm a lot more selective and it's created this healthier dynamic that I have with my writing and with what I want to do because I know I don't have to necessarily please anybody. So it's really healthy for somebody like me to have a full-time job that I love. And I don't think I'm any less creative because I have a full-time job. I like to put that message out there because some people are really hard on themselves if they, you know, do something else outside of their creative passion.
0: So now that you've gone through this experience with your husband and you're back in this quaint little town you love, what would you say you are most grateful for in terms of your creativity and even your creative career?
1: I'm really grateful for the variety of life experiences that we've been able to have and for the insights that we've been able to have. Contains so much variety and meeting such a vast array of people from so many walks of life. It's really just enriched my being. It's enriched this place that I think I'll come from for future creativity. So, for example, I put away music for a while when I got a full-time job and then When our son was born, I just felt this explosion of ideas. And I don't know about you, Sarah, but like having my child was just a huge moment of release. But then at the same time, you don't have any time for your ideas (laughs) because you're so busy with a child. So I'm just really thankful to have this back catalog of creative inspiration that comes from all of this time in our past and how I'm just slowly starting to release it as a really busy mom and a really, you know, busy person with a full-time job and just sitting around and trying to put an hour into my music or into my writing each day and realizing that getting older gives you perspective on when you've been hard on yourself and I'm really thankful for this healthy relationship that I have with myself and I witness my husband's mental health and I see just how happy he is with what has happened and that he can look at an experience like that and process it in such a healthy way and turn into a really thankful, nice, kind person.
0: Oh, that's amazing. So, Michelle, where can everyone find you online? Yeah,
1: I blog at SavvyHistory.com and you can
0: find me on all social outlets at Savvy History. So, again, thank you so much for coming on Beyond the Dollar. Thank you so much for
1: having me, Sarah. I really admire what you do with your podcast.
0: Oh, thank you. So I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Michelle. Now, I think the biggest lesson we can learn from this is the idea of having a saver's mindset or saving a bunch of money and in Michelle's words, be able to make decisions on the fly or if you were to make a transition, for example. So in Michelle and Adam's case, you decided to move to Austin and didn't really have to worry about the finances, right? Or you're deciding to maybe take your side hustle and you want to go for it full time and see how it takes you, or you want to relocate somewhere and try things out for a little bit and see whether you like it, right? Whatever the case may be, having that buffer or having that aside or the cash aside so that you don't have to necessarily worry about where your next paycheck is coming from is a very freeing feeling. So if you don't have a goal right now, but you want to be able to just offset anything, it doesn't hurt to save money in a savings account. And you can start small, right? Like I've always preached, if you've listened to Beyond the Dollar for a while, is just take it one step at a time. If you can do a dollar, do a dollar. If you can do 20, do 20, right? I think the second thing which really struck me from this conversation is Michelle and Adam's values they it seems like they really took some time to really assess what they wanted from their life and then figure how money played into it so what's really interesting is that they ended up moving back to their hometown and it was that sense of community that they really liked and so great things worked out and the decision wasn't necessarily a financial one so when you're making decisions and I know it's easier for some people than others right like for example Last week Charis essentially didn't really have a choice in terms of where she could live. She had to live near a city for um, health reasons and she didn't have a choice in the neighborhood she chose because she didn't get a big enough mortgage, right? I highly recommend you listen to that episode, just really eye-opening. And so what I'm saying here is whatever choices you can make, do the best you can with your situation. So if you are in a position where you can't spend a lot. See what little choices you can make, or if you have more to spend, or if you have a bigger buffer and you're like, oh, I want to move across the country because it aligns with my values. That's great. All right. Something else I think that was really interesting is the idea of boundaries and getting clear on what it is that you want and being okay with the fact that not everyone's going to be happy about it. When you're living true to your values, sometimes you're going to ruffle some feathers, I can definitely say that from personal experience that has happened to me, but I think at the end of the day, if you're living a life that's true to you and you're using money to help you with that, you're going to find that the people that you do love are going to be supportive in their own way, right? They may be scared for you. They may not understand what's going on, but they're going to at least try their best to support you in in most cases, right? One last thing I do want to mention, right, I promise talking about no need to monetize your passion or hobby. So Adam and Michelle are still playing shows, right, but they're not terribly worried about the fact that they need to make enough from that to pay the bills. And so I think it's really nice to have pursuits that aren't directly related to money that you can enjoy. Because I think... Many, many cases when money comes into something, it really can ruin the experience. And that could be because you have some baggage around money. You don't make enough to fund your lifestyle with that hobby or passion. And so there's just so much that's wrapped into that. So, my suggestion don't necessarily get caught in the doing what you love mindset that, that you'll see a lot of people talk about. And if this is something interesting to you, I would love to hear your thoughts about it. And I can certainly find someone to chat about this in an upcoming episode. So again, I want to hear from you. Please email me hello at beyondthedollar.co or I'm on Instagram at beyondthedollar. So next week's episode is a pretty good one. It is with Andy Kramer and Al Harris. So they're a couple who have championed for women's rights in the workplace. And so we're going to chat about women navigating the traditional workplace and how you can try to make it work for you. All right, until next time. Thank you so much for listening in on Beyond the Dollar. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend. It'll help share the mission of what we're trying to do, which is to have more deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. So tag them on Instagram on my post at Beyond the Dollar or send them a link, whatever you wanna to do to spread the mission of what we're doing around here. Now, if you feel that putting money towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, feel free to download the value space spending guide. So what it is, is you're gonna be able to gain clarity around what matters most to in life, be able to name your most important values and how we can start putting money towards those things. So to download the value space spending guide, go to beyondthedollar.co slash values. So thank you again for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar. By the way, thank you to Donovan Durant again for providing this awesome theme song.